0: The mountains are Good morning. We say thanks once again to the choir this morning. Great job. Not going to mention um, not going to mention any names, but one of our great friends up there, uh, good part of this community, 80 years old, still dancing, shouting, singing. Man, I hope I have that when I'm 80. How about you? And some some of you are like, when I was 80, I yeah. So so keep up the energy, friends. I was in second or third grade, and I was in a particular math section. A teacher was trying to teach us some math concepts. And for some reason, my brain just, I just could not get it. And, I mean, she gave exercise after exercise, and she circled the plane 10 different ways. Um, although now when my kids come home and they ask for help with math, there's like 117 different ways to do it, and they have to know them all. And I'm like, can't help you, dude. Sorry. You know. So I, I was not getting it. And she, she gave us this very specific process to follow to explain this particular type of math. And uh, then she gave us a test to test our knowledge, and as teachers often do, they ask you to show your work, which means you gotta show them to do it the way they taught you to do it. So I didn't really like that because it seemed really hard. And so what I did is I came up with my own way to solve the problem, a new technique, if you will. And so in second or third grade, on the top right of my paper, I wrote, here's a new way to do this, the proper way. And I was trying to teach my teacher the right way to do this. Uh, and so what I did is I wrote sort of this formula, here's how you do it, and I was hoping she'd learn from this, it's going to be in the textbook someday, all that kind of stuff. And then I did, I showed my work according to my own sort of plan, and then I solved the problem. She was not as excited about this path as I was, which is really, really interesting. Um, the other thing is, it was all wrong, like every bit of it. The, the process was wrong, the final answer was wrong. All of that. And so after sort of going, I don't want to choose this hard path, I had to go back and choose the hard path because she made me redo it all. I still don't understand how to do it. (laughs) We're in this series called Hills and Valleys, and we've been exploring what do we do during uncertain times and, and how do we navigate through those? And we're looking at the life of Elijah to help us walk that journey. Last week, Ryan talked about how being in a wilderness is a training ground. And I remember listening to that and going, I don't know about you, but I hate that. Like, I was like, I do not like this. The wilderness is the training ground. And I think it's because I wish there were a better way to experience growth. But I've learned, as many of us have, that it seems like those wilderness moments have such power to shape us into who God created us to be. Well, this week we're going to continue in our series. And I want to look at a story in the scriptures that has four movements, a decision, and a widow. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your scriptures to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. While you're turning there, I love series like this where we're going through the Old Testament. Because they're, they're, even though these stories were written and set thousands of years ago, I think if we have eyes to see, we can see ourselves in these stories. They're totally relevant. And as I was studying for this message, I'm like, my gosh, it's talking directly to me. And my hope today is that it talks directly to you. And so we're going to see today a snapshot into Elijah's journey following God and how God moved him through a series of movements or events that strengthened his faith, that challenged him, that pressed on him to grow, that gave him opportunities to practice his faith and not just talk about it or just learn and pull him forward into who God created him to be. And just like every good story, there's definitely an all is lost moment to contend with. And so my hope is that all of us in this room would read this story with fresh eyes to learn from Elijah's life and how he navigated in his journey and to find ourselves in the story. So let's start. Movement one, 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, we're going to go back and read a little bit of what Ryan talked about last week because it's really important for us to start there in context to see how God moved Elijah through these. So let's start in movement one, 1 Kings 17, 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So basically, God dispatched Uber Eats, take care of them, hang out by the brook. And then we see verse 7. And all of these movements have this phrase. It's really interesting. Sometime later, the brook dried up because why? There's no rain in the land. So what's interesting as we look through these, starting in movement one, I'm going to walk you through a pattern that unfolds in scripture. And the, the very first thing we see is that we see the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord tells Elijah to go do something, doesn't it? So the word of the Lord in this has two parts. It has instruction, go do this, but it also has the promise of provision. And that's really, really important. So then we see Elijah acting in obedience. It's the second part. And out of that, we see fruit from that. He acted in obedience to the word of the Lord's instruction. We see provision. So he got to experience sort of full circle. God saying, go do this, and I'll take care of you. And he did it, and then what happened? God took care of him. Pretty awesome. Which no doubt built his faith. But then as we see in stories like this, and so often in our own life, pain comes, discomfort comes, the provision dries up. And so Elijah is forced to move, and pain so often leads us to movement. But it's in that movement, as a result of that pain, we move, and we go on to the next thing, and we see what? Growth. Interesting. So what can we learn from Elijah from movement one? Well, the first thing is pretty simple. He met instruction with obedience. It's such a powerful example for us. It's such a powerful example. And following Jesus isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes Jesus talks to us and asks us to do things. If you're new uh, at this journey or whether you've been in it for a long time, it can be really difficult. But for all of us, if the Lord speaks, if the Lord gives us instruction, we should meet instruction with obedience. That's the logical next step. So if you're wondering, what should I do? And the Lord instructs you to do something, what should you do? Just do that thing. Pretty simple. That'll be five bucks. Here's the thing. You're not always going to do it right. I don't think God's standard for us is perfection, but it's taking a step. So if the Lord speaks, take a step. And if you mess up, fess up and move on. Elijah obeyed, and he had fruit, and he enjoyed it for a while, but notice that God didn't let him stay there forever. So he saw the fruit of this provision. And then we see that phrase. What was it? Sometime later, pain came, and discomfort replaced discomfort. Why? Well, God had other things for Elijah to do. And we're going to read on in 1 Kings and the rest of the series some pretty big things. And God needed to grow Elijah. And if he just let him stay comfortable at where he was, Elijah wouldn't learn the skills that he needed to do that thing that he did. That's why when we're very little, we learn the basics of, of reading and writing, the basics of math. And later, we learn to do more things with those. We had to learn the basic principles. And pain comes with that. Because sometimes, I wish God would let me stay in that fruit season. Like, I don't want to come out of the fruit season. Some people in this room today came out of the fruit season when you looked out the window and you had a visceral reaction to the white stuff coming down. How many love fall? I love the fall. There are many people who go, yeah, but the, you know what the fall means. It's just It's right before the winter. so and They can't even enjoy fall. Some of us want fall to hang on for a little bit longer. Elijah met instruction with obedience and he saw fruit. And then later God allowed discomfort to come in and move him. That's movement one. Let's go on. Movement two. So we're going to pick it up in verse eight. And this is kind of a long passage, so follow along. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So that's the word of the Lord, the instruction go, and then what? The promise of provision. This widow is going to show up and she's going to take care of you. Are you with me? So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So she's doing this. And then here's what she says. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So things are bad. You get it? He's like, hey, would you take care of me? She's like, dude, you do know we're starving, right? Just want to make that really clear. So what's really interesting is she's letting him know that like, this is it. This is the bottom of the barrel. We're going to make this little meal and we have hardly anything to make it. The chips and queso, almost done, right? And he, so let's see what Elijah says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. That's pretty cool. Unlimited chips and queso. Really what happened is this was the first pyramid marketing scheme, right? If you go home and sign up three people... With the chips and queso. They'll each sign up three people. It could be a lot of chips and queso. Not really. So he invited her into this. And think how ridiculous this might have sounded to her at the time. But what happened is Elijah's learning from his experience with God. He he heard the instruction. He met it with obedience. He began to see that this woman was there. And then he invites her into the fold and mirrors out the word of the Lord to her. So she went away, verse 15, and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And then here's this phrase. So that's pretty cool, right? Elijah does this. He invites her in. Lots of provision. Great season. And then those dreaded words say it with me. Some time later, what happened? The son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So the pattern shifts a little bit. We see, just like the others, there is the word of the Lord. And then what happens out of that pattern is instruction. We see that there's instruction and the promise of provision, and then we see his obedience. But then he interrupts this with the word of the Lord. What did he do? He mirrors the word of the Lord. He calls out the word of the Lord to this woman. And he invites her into that. He mirrored the word of the Lord, and then there was fruit. And maybe there are two kinds of fruit. One of those is his encounter with God was happening to where he consistently is seeing God's provision, and that was building his faith, right? But there was also another fruit here, and that is that he didn't just let it stay with him. He invited someone else into the mix. He took this woman who thought she was on her last leg, and he promised that the Lord was going to provide. And what did God do? God provided. Ah, and a seed was sown. So this woman is now brought into this narrative. Notice that he calls out to this widow uh, for her to serve him, and she resisted him. Why did she resist? Well, because she was in pain, because she was about to die. And so she says, I can't, I can't do this, man. I don't have enough to take care of this. I don't know exactly what was in Elijah's head at that point, but sometimes for me, if I hit resistance, I could just give up. How about you? I mean, if it doesn't go the way that I want it, I might just give up. Elijah doesn't do that. Here's a principle we can learn. Elijah met resistance with patience. He didn't just go, okay, well, she's not into it. It's not her jam, so let's move on. Because he trusted in God. He trusted that what God said was true, and he met that resistance with patience. And he practiced inviting her into the journey. And even though she, she struggled with that, He followed with the word of the Lord because he ultimately knew that the Lord was with him. And there was incredible fruit from that. I think there's a couple of beautiful things about this part of the narrative. In the first movement, he obeys the word of the Lord and he learns um, to obey and get fruit. And then pain provokes him. There's a little bit of pain, moves him to the next thing. He learns patience, he learns obedience. Um, In the next movement, he hears the word of the Lord and obeys. And then he invites this woman in and thereby strengthens his training. He adds a new skill and invites someone else into the movement of God. And then here comes the hard part. This is in, the, in, in story sort of formula. This is the all is lost moment. This is where the person who wants something loses everything. And it seems like the odds are insurmountable. Go home and watch any movie on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. You see this. It's right in the middle of the movie. It's the end of the second act. It's the all is lost moment. And that's what happened for this lady. So Elijah has journeyed. He's been building his faith. He's been doing this stuff. And there was this amazing provision. I mean, the woman would be dead had Elijah not intervened. See, Elijah intervened, but the Lord also intervened and provided for him. And then through all of this, boom, sometime later, this boy dies. Have you ever felt that way in your journey? I mean, you're like fruit. You're in the fruit season. It's good. Maybe where the Lord comes and you obey and things are going really, really well. And then the pain comes, and sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes when that resistance comes, we're likely to give up because we haven't worked out our muscles yet. Like when our marriage isn't going the way that it should go, when it just seems broken and some of us find ourselves in this place where it just seems all at lost, or when our work is not good, we're just spinning our wheels, we're not getting the traction, That we need and it seems like all is lost. Or when when we get a bad diagnosis and our health isn't what we thought it was supposed to be. Or our parenting and working with our children is really hard. Or maybe our children go a path we didn't anticipate them to go. And all is lost. Sometimes our finances, we take something happens and it's devastating on our finances. And we wake up one day and it feels like all is lost. And all too often, when we meet that resistance, we give up. We see from Elijah that he kept going. And was patient, even when he felt that resistance, even when it was hard. But this is kind of a big deal now. This is sort of the big moment of resistance. And that leads us to a point of decision. Think about Elijah's journey up to this point. I mean, God had called him and he obeyed and he sought fruit from this. And, but, and then a little bit of pain came. But that pain was small and it was manageable, but it provoked him to move. And he did, and he moved. And then the word of the Lord came again, and he was learning from this. God called him again, and he obeyed. And then he invited this woman in uh, into the journey. And he saw this fruit, the oil and the flour didn't run out. Unlimited chips and queso. So good. But then the stakes grew so much higher, didn't they? I mean, there was a life in the balance. So Elijah was growing and practicing his faith, and then things get messy real quick. And I can't imagine myself the pain that the widow must have found herself in. She had seen God do something miraculous. And remember, when she first greeted him, she, she mentioned the Lord your God. It was his God, right? But then here, she experienced God's provision. No doubt that sowed some kind of seed of faith in her. But she was baby in that. She was so young in that. And then all his loss comes. And we don't know for sure exactly uh, what turned in her heart, but we know what she said. And so in this moment, they had a decision. And the decision they had to make had to do with what they did with pain. Pain is so hard. I'm not a fan of pain, just want to make that publicly known. Um, I think I have a fairly low pain tolerance. Wives, elbow your husbands. It's true about them too. Women seem indestructible, men do not. A few weeks ago, I cut my finger right across the tip of my finger I almost cried. It was like so intensely painful. Like, why does it hurt so bad? You know? You ever wondered that? Why so painful? Like, I get it. I screwed up. I should not have done that. Why let the pain keep going? And then what's crazy is that Sunday, it was a few weeks ago, I had to play bass with this hand. So, all during rehearsal, I'm like, ugh, lots of pain. Uh, I know a little bit about pain. I've had shingles three times. Not fun. It stinks. Pain is messy. Pain is hard. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, If you see someone in pain, when they make their pain face, you know, they cut themselves, they hurt themselves or whatever, no one looks attractive when they're like that. And I'm going to prove it. I want you to look at your neighbor right now, and I want you to imagine that you've cut your finger, and I want you to show them your pain face. Go, right now. Show them your pain face, how hard it is. Oh, it feels so bad. Some of you are smiling, which tells me you're liars, right? No one's like, oh, That felt so good. Mm, I love that. I'll have another, please. Nobody's pain face is beautiful. Most people, uh, they don't like it. Um, We all have to decide how to respond to pain because pain, someone once said, we can't always relate to one another's successes, but we can all relate to one another's pain. We all have pain. But here's the thing. Pain in our life can either lead to growth or it can lead to death. And it's a decision that we get to make. See, often God allows pain or discomfort to give us an opportunity to grow. And every step toward growth involves some measure of pain. If you want to be ripped, if you want to work out, it's going to hurt. You're going to have to work. If you want to grow to the next level, there's going to be pain. And that pain can make us stronger so that we can take on new challenges in life. If you see someone that's really strong, you go, that person's really strong. Man, they can take a lot. You know why they can? Because they've been through a lot of pain. And they made a choice about how to use that. And for some of us, it leads to growth. But all too often we want to skip the hard problems and come up with our own formula and kind of do an end run around that. I don't want to go through the painful thing, I just want to go to the thing that's successful. But it's 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 a false way of thinking. You can't lead to success without going through some pain. You just can't. If we try to do those things and skip the pain that we have to go through, it'll fail. Sometimes we stall and shut down. The decision we get to make is, do we let that thing lead us toward growth? Now, remember, the widow, she just had a little bit of experience in God's provision, but it's a kind of a big deal. Unlimited chips and queso, that's amazing. But then she lost her son. And pain comes, and the woman says, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? And so we see this sort of all is lost moment. This woman's poured out. There's nothing in the tank. She has a decision to make about how to respond, and she does. But Elijah also has a decision to make. That's two movements and a decision. Let's look at movement three, starting in verse 19. So Elijah says, give me your son. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God. Have you brought tragedy, even on this widow I am staying with, by causing her son to die? And what's really interesting in this pattern, that the pattern is interrupted. See, in every other pattern, we see the word of the Lord and obedience. And here we're crying out, like, of all times, we need the word of the Lord. It's in obedience, right? I mean, when everything is bottomed out, when I'm in the lowest of the valley, here's where I need the word of the Lord to just simply say, arise and go do this, and here's my promise of provision, What's missing? The word of the Lord. No instruction. No promise of provision. And so we see the beginning of Elijah's moving in this movement three of his vulnerability. I love how he's so all, uh, open and vulnerable about this. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? He was completely vulnerable, which is okay, friends. It's okay to not know what to do. Did you know that? It's okay to not have it all together. That's okay. So what Elijah does is he has to make a decision. And let's see what decision he made. Let's look at verse 21. So then he stretched himself out on the boy, by, uh, the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. So he took this action, right? And then he called out to the Lord. Then the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him. And what happened? He lived. That's awesome. My first thought, because I was a little skeptical reading this, is like, you could have crushed that boy, right? But he took some action. And here's a a learning. Here's a principle for us. Elijah met silence with boldness. See, the pattern continued. It was interrupted. There was no word of the Lord. There was no instruction. There was no promise of provision in that moment. So Elijah decided to pony up and take bold action, even though it seemed like everything was quiet. Why was he able to do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he had had encounter after encounter with the character and person of God. He was able to trust in who God is. He wasn't starting over from square one. You know, sometimes when, when pain comes, and we, maybe we're in a fruit season, and then pain comes, it's almost like we start all over. What was me? I don't know what to do. Instead of remembering and, and taking a moment to remember that God has done great things in the past, and God will do great things again. See, Elijah took bold action. Why? Because he took an inventory of all the different ways that God had moved in his life. And for some of us, we shut down when it seems like There's silence. And we say, I'm not hearing from God. But it's in those moments that we have to pause and take inventory of how God has shown himself faithful time and time again. And I'm going to ask this question, and I want you to be really honest with yourself. Don't have to answer out loud, but just chew on this. When was the last time you stopped to remember all that God has done? When was the last time you stopped to remember all that God has done? I'm a pastor, and I would say I'm guilty of not doing that often enough. How about you? Yeah. Several years ago, my wife and I were living in Texas, and I was at this church, and things were going great. church was growing like gangbusters, and we had just bought this house, and we were about to build this new building, and no reason for me to leave. And a friend of mine who lived in Chicago reached out to me and said, hey, I really would love it if you'd consider joining our team. And I said, that sounds awesome someday. Let's talk about that. And I avoided it for about two and a half months. And then about two and a half months in, he, he said, uh, I need to make a decision. Will you do this? And so we were terrified. Like, why would we disrupt everything and, and take this journey? So we flew to Chicago, and we had some interviews and had some conversations. And then we came back, and they made us an offer, and then we had to make a decision. And so we, as God, you would expect, right? I prayed, and very clearly God said, go tell it on He told me this. A bush lit on fire outside my house. That was my kids doing that, not the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. There was no, like, go do this in an audible voice. I wish that had happened. And so I didn't know what to do. And so for months I'd been journaling, and the way that I journal is I have a, a, a book of Psalms that I will write a scripture for the day that I'm looking at, and I'll respond back to it. Here's what I see in it, and I'll pray it back and some thoughts about it. And then I'll just do a stream of consciousness. Here's what I'm thinking about today and the dinner I had last night, and it could be just anything. It's really kind of random, but I always do it only on one side of the paper. So I buy these moleskin notebooks and I do it on one side of the paper and i leave the other side blank. And there's a reason for that because later I'll go back if God answers something that I wrote in there and I'll write in the other side in an arrow. Here's where God showed up. Here's where God showed up. It's weird because like on any given day, I'm doing this discipline of journaling, not really thinking about it. It's not some big picture. It's just a little discipline that I'm doing. So I came to this place where God was calling us to make a move of some kind. We were trying to discern that. And I went back and read over seven months of journals, and it lit up like a Christmas tree, just clear as day. God had been speaking all the time. And now it was the work for me to do, to draw deep from what God had already done in me, and I saw this clear pattern. It was a very similar experience. Um, When I was about fourth grade, things in my life were really challenging at home, it was a very difficult season for me, and I really felt like I didn't matter. I didn't have much to bring to the table. That's sad when a fourth grader feels that, because that should be the time that life is pregnant with possibility, right? And there was this teacher. She wasn't in my class. She was a teacher in my building. I never had class with her. And she, her name was Carol Davis, and she spoke to me and started calling out what she saw in me, potential. And I hadn't experienced that. It was amazing. It was like she planted a seed in the fertile soil of my heart. She invited me into some activities. She took me to this college. I got to go do a radio show in like fifth grade. It was pretty cool. She had me do a number of things and she stayed connected with me for years. And the last time I saw her, I was probably 15 years old. Well, in the crazy age of technology that we live in, um, we connected on Facebook. And she asked for my email address. And I gave her my email address and she sent me this email and said, I'm coming to Denver. I'd love to see you. And that was like the craziest thing. It's like a, my head's like, what? Last Saturday night, my wife and I went and had dinner with her. I was really nervous. I didn't know how it was going to go until she said she was staring down the menu to see if they had any good beer. I thought, it's going to be a good dinner. Everything's good. We're good. She was shocked by this, but here's what I told her. I said, when I was in fourth or fifth grade, I needed someone to speak into my life and to call out what they saw in me that was good. And I can't tell you how many times as an adult I've had to go back to that moment to draw from that well. The reason Elijah was able to walk forward with boldness amidst silences, he had heard the voice over and over and over. And friends, when you hear the silence, maybe it's time that you take inventory and you look back and you draw upon from that well the seed that was planted in you over and over again. And this is why spiritual disciplines matter. This is why we have classes and groups and workshops to try to equip us to have activities that we can put in place so that when it seems like all is lost... We've got something to draw from. And so here's what I'm going to remind you. And you may have forgotten this and so I'm going to tell you this. The same God that cared for you yesterday is walking with you today and will be with you in the future. And I know this is true because the writer of Hebrews tells us oh so clearly that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm excited about that. Because I don't always have it together, but I can trust he does. He does. And he's met me at a number of points in my life that carry me through when it seems like he's silent. I have no doubt that Elijah was terrified, but in the midst of his fear, he sought the Lord. He took bold action. Why? Because he made a decision based on the character of who he knew God to be. And we might not always get the result we want, but when we meet silence with boldness, God can show up incredible ways. My favorite story in all the scriptures is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and it's where it's a really bad time for Israel. There's 600 soldiers left, and and out of all the, the swords and stuff they had, they only have two swords left out of 600 people. They're at the bottom of this cliff, and Saul, the king of Israel, is laying under this tree, giving up. And on top of this cliff is filled with hundreds and hundreds of Philistine soldiers. And the scripture, the way that the scripture talks about that is so poetic in this word picture that their numbers numbered as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of sand, right? So that's a way of saying it felt unlimited people up there. So Saul gave up. He made a choice. But his son Jonathan understood how God worked and understood that God was there. And I love this. He looks at his armor bearer and he said, let's go show ourselves to these Philistines. And if they tell us to come up, we'll know God's given them into our hands, which I think is bananas, by the way, because if I have one sword and all these hundreds of thousands of people and they say, come up to us, where they are with all their weapons, oh, clearly then God's delivered them into our hands. (laughs) Here's the thing, there was no guarantee, but my favorite verse in all of the Bible and this verse God used to get me to go to Chicago and again to Denver was this verse where he looked at his armor bearer and he said this, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He didn't say 100% slam dunk guarantee we win the final four. He didn't say that. We're going to try. We're trusting in faith of who God is. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So Elijah did the same thing. He met silence with boldness and he appealed to God and the fruit is that God heard it and the boy's life returned to him. And imagine what that did to Elijah's faith. And So our journey like Elijah it might be building like uh, we learn to obey, right? We hear the word and we learn to obey and then it builds our faith. And then we invite others in and that builds our faith. But then we take action even in silence. Why? Because perhaps the Lord. And if you want to understand what real growth is about, look at this formula. Doubt plus bold action equals growth. And I'm just going to give you permission to doubt sometimes. It's confusing when I see news stories of terrible things that are happening. It hurts. It's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around that. And I'll tell you, there's not a pastor on our staff or an elder on the board that doesn't have doubt from time to time. It's a normal part of the Christian experience. It's just normal. But doubt doesn't mean we don't take action. It means doubt plus plus taking bold action equals growth. And so Elijah, as scared as he was, was vulnerable, and he took a step. He trusted in the character of God, and he saw the food from it. So we have two movements, a decision and another movement, and now we're going to look at the final movement and go ahead and look at verse 23. Now, I want to sort of just point out just for a second before we move on, there are two experiences happening at the same time in this story, right? Elijah goes upstairs, he has this rooftop experience, literally, he prays, he is vulnerable, then he takes action, he prays, and the Lord moves, and the boy is restored. But think about the widow downstairs. She didn't know about any of that stuff. She's sobbing, her heart is broken. And I can't imagine all the thoughts that ran through her head, but no doubt, she was in immense pain. She wasn't able to carry in that moment, but Elijah was, and he intervened on her behalf. And Elijah took it upon himself to exercise his faith in hopes that God might show up. Look at verse 23. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. What a moment that must have been. Unlimited chips and queso, and my son is back. I mean, I, you know, mic drop at this point in the story. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord From your mouth is the truth. She started off early in this passage, the word uh, saying the Lord, your God. And now she's acknowledging the word of the Lord is truth. Now it's come full circle. Elijah's gotten to see multiple movements, four movements. And it's come full circle. He's seen this kid come back from the dead. And I would just contend that later we're going to see Elijah take some bold moves. He's going to take up against a number of prophets of Baal. And we're going to see God show up. We're going to see him take on some pretty big things. And there's no way he could have done those things had he not been faithful to learn and to just take a step and to learn and just take a step even when there's pain. But the one final thing I want to learn from this comes actually from the widow. So This, this widow found herself in immense pain. We can't even imagine. But her response was to call out the truth of God. And so we see that this widow meets restoration with praise so cool. Her faith becomes personal. It wasn't just the Lord your God anymore. It's the Lord's word is true through your mouth. You know, it's easy when we go through hard times to get to a place where it feels a little bit better and to forget to stop and take inventory again and to forget to praise because now we're just living in fruit. But I think it's important to pause and take inventory of all that God has done as an act of worship, but also as a part of our training. See, if we get in the habit of praise, we'll have that to draw on when things get messy and it seems like things are silent. So on our journey, I wonder if we have a similar pattern as Elijah where we hear the word and there's obedience and we build trust and we see fruit and we invite others in and then we learn as we grow stronger to meet silence with boldness. But then the final part of that is just learning to praise. And I think a mark of maturity, listen, is learning to praise in the top and the bottom of life, in the hills and the valley. That's a mark. But it's also um, not just a, a mark that we've achieved something, it's a sign of practice. It's one of the ways we practice. We don't start off just naturally going, thank you, I'll have another. But once we see that pain can do a deep work in us and can move us and help us to become who God created us to be, we can learn to praise God even when it hurts, even when it's hard, to say, yes, I will, they're the highest and the lowest of valleys. That's movement four. We've seen Elijah on this training ground of learning obedience and patience and boldness and praise. And here's the thing. Every movement in this story stretched him. It grew him. It forced him to move so that God could call him into being who God created him to be. And I would just ask this morning this question. Are you willing to let the Spirit do the same thing for you? Our mission here at South is living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And I would love it if I could just give you like the three simple steps to do that. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like step one, two, three, and you can knock them out right after the service before you hit up the barbecue place or whatever it is. I wish I could do that, but I can't. See, practice is the way that we get there. We don't just one day look exactly like Jesus. We practice, we try, we make mistakes, but we keep on going. So it's been sort of our tradition these last few months as we end the talk, to give us practices that can take what we've learned and what the Spirit might be saying and actually live those things out. Why? Just so you have stuff to do, so you can have homework? No. To equip you on your journey of living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. And i want to pull, pull four practices um, out of this talk today. Four things out of four movements. And some of us, maybe we need all four of these practices. Some of us, maybe it's one, but this is the time I'm going to ask you just to ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me, tell me what you want me to do. What's the practice you want me to engage or practices this week? For some of us, the Lord's been speaking, and our practice is the practice of obedience. God's been speaking to you, giving you instruction and maybe even promising provision, but you're afraid to take the next step. I don't know what that is for you, but I suspect all of us could use the practice of obedience, hearing the word of the Lord and doing what the word of the Lord says. And for some people in this room, you might have been hearing the word for years. The Lord saying to you, do something. There was a season in my life where I had all these commentaries and I was studying like crazy. And my friend said, hey, you're getting spiritually fat and you need to work out. And I'm like, excuse me? And what he said was, you're learning all this stuff, but you're not doing anything with it. Like put it to practice, do something with it. For some of us, our practice is obedience. For others of us, Things aren't going the way that we want, and your practice is patience. And I know that stinks. I always, I've always said if I wanted patience, I would have been a doctor, and they would have paid me, you know. God doesn't seem to work like that in my life, and this is one I'm having to work on. It's not going the way that I want it, so, so I can, what, give up, or I can have patience. For some of us, a practice this week is boldness and Silence. It's just having the courage to take an inventory and saying, I'm just, I need God to move, but I'm just not hearing from God in a way that I expect. And so to do that inventory I talked about and to take a bold step forward. A step that Elijah stepped and he laid on that boy three times because of what he trusted, but also because he trusted that this is the character of God. The heart of the Father is to bring healing. And even if God's not telling me about that, I know that's the heart of the Father. So I'm going to take a step in that direction. So for some of us, it's boldness. And for all of us, I'm sure it's praise and restoration. It's learning to praise when things go well. But I think a deeper practice is learning to praise when it's not. Because God is with you. God will not forsake you. He has not forsaken you. And he will be with you into the future. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for that, we can praise Aaron's going to come up, and we're going to re-sing this song, Yes, I Will. And the truth is, we all have a decision to make to be pliable, to let God do God's work in our hearts. And friends, that's going to sometimes involve pain. But pain often moves us toward movement, and if we so let it do its deep work in us, it leads to growth. And my prayer is a community that we as a community will answer, yes, I will, even when it's hard. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for this community and for the courageous people that you've put in our midst. But I just pray you would give us the courage to walk in obedience to you, to be patient, to be bold when it seems like you're so far away and to praise you in the mountain and the valley. And Lord, I think about how this woman, her tank was empty and she had nothing left to give to intercede on behalf of her son. And so Elijah came along and he drew from that deep well and he interceded on her behalf. I pray that you would continue to make this a community that would love one another, that would put our arms around one another. And for those of us who had a little more seasoning, would come alongside those who maybe haven't yet and help them through that time and intercede on their behalf. Lord, we answer as a community. You say, will you go? Will you stand in this? Will you praise in the midst of the high and the low? Our answer as a community is yes, I will. we ask all of these things in the strong, the powerful name of Jesus. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as a community, we pray together, amen.